0: That's investher, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100 best ever to get $100 off your ticket.
1: It takes some time each day to either meditate or calmly introspect or spend some time in silence. This is that dynamo inside where your ideas will come from.
0: Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure. Free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name. Episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And He is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Now I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free and then... You can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely wound up being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company, and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that, adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We've talked to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a whole bunch of others. With us today, Jeremy Jones. How you doing, Jeremy?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you, Joe. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm doing great, my friend. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Jeremy. He is a real estate investor and a musician and, in fact, received a Grammy nomination in 2014 for playing drums in Malcolm Moore and Ryan Lewis' album called The Heist. In 2002, was working full-time at Microsoft and acquired a rent-by-the-room rental home. And in 2012, partnered with his brother to build a portfolio of multifamily rentals in Seattle, Washington. With that being said, Jeremy, you want to give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on?
1: Sure. What you said was accurate, that I purchased a rent-by-the-room home while I was working at Microsoft. And gave me a little taste of being a landlord and the power of having passive income, paying the mortgage, and contributing to daily expenses. And I saw that I could live that way. I live completely off passive income, and so I had that goal in mind. But it took a little while to really make it concrete and start developing a larger portfolio, as you said, which I started in 2012. I left my job at Microsoft in 2006 and had about a six-year space in there where I was living entirely as a musician and yoga teacher, and I really enjoyed the flexibility to pursue those creative areas and also was taking some time in there to educate myself about investing in financial freedom. 2012, when I started taking action, I found my brother was a good investment partner. He had similar goals, but he had some of the things to offer, such as W2 income and accounting skills and Excel analysis type skills that kind of match with my team building and being on the ground and finding deals here in Seattle. So we ended up hooking up really well and buying multifamily rentals started with foreclosure buying, and then moved on to seller finance and other creative acquisition methods. And generally we look for buy and hold properties that combine some aspects of leverage and have value add opportunities.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. And I would love to dig into some of those deals. Quick question about your rent-by-the-room home as your first property. Is that essentially a student rental where you're renting out the rooms or beds to college students, or is that something else?
1: Well, in my case, I was a new hire at Microsoft, and so I just bought a house as close to my office and the Microsoft campus as I could. And then I posted an ad on the Microsoft internal, it was called Micronews, which is kind of like it was a Craigslist type thing, but only for Microsoft people, which since has gone away, I believe. But I found a couple roommates there that were also working at Microsoft and they rented the room. So it was a good way to find my renters. And then when I sold that house a couple of years later, I bought another house right close to the campus, which had larger size and an additional bedroom. And then I did the same thing. So we're going to Microsoft people. I still have the house now. My property manager manages it and still rents it out separately by the room. And there's kind of a mix. Sometimes it's Microsoft folks or just other people that work in that area of Redmond, Washington.
0: Interesting. Okay. So you bought the house and you rented out the rooms. How many rooms are there?
1: The first house had 3 rooms so I was living in one and renting out the other two and then I sold that to roll the money into a 4 bedroom where I lived in the master bedroom and then rented the other 3
0: rented right, the other 3 and now you've got 4 separate Microsoft employees living in that 4 bedroom house and each renting out the room
1: Yeah, well, right now the tenant mix, I don't believe they're, I think one of them is a contractor at Microsoft and the other two don't work at Microsoft, but I'm a little more removed from it now because Mm -hmm. my property manager places the tenants. So initially it was more personal thing. I'd be meeting the prospective tenants, showing them the space and saying, hey, do you want to be my roommate and rent this room and share the kitchen and that kind of thing? And now it's more of a passive thing where my property manager's doing it.
0: As it should be. I know you know how much you bought it for, so how much was that, but do you know how much it's renting for?
1: The current one that I have, I bought for four twenty four in two thousand six. It's worth about seven seventy five now. My mortgage payment is twenty four hundred, and I generally get thirty two hundred from my property manager. So that particular one has more equity caught in it and less cash flow than the other multifamily properties that I have. Mm-hmm. But since it's got good financing, and I own it personally and it's kind of just trucking along. I just have it going that way and it's worked out well.
0: You bought it in 2006 and it has almost doubled in value. Bravo. And what type of lucky charm do you have where you're able to appreciate in value from 2006 that much even after the 2008 crash?
1: Yeah, that has taught me that it helps to be next to a premier employer like Microsoft in a very attractive city such as Seattle, which is growing very rapidly. So that's the big part, just being in an area that has all the attractions that Seattle has with beauty and education and technology and cultural diversity, etc. So I've just benefited from investing in this area. But it has shown me that a lot of people, they're really sensitive to wanting to buy at the right time. And I essentially bought this property right before the downturn. And during the downturn, I just kept paying my mortgage with the rent income and then the market hit the bottom and went back up and caught up to where it was and then shot way beyond that. So it's kind of taught me that length of time holding a property is more important than buying at the right time within the small fluctuations of the market.
0: As long as you're in the right market. That's great. Congratulations on that purchase. And it's always nice when you have the first one out of the gate. While that doesn't cash flow that much, It certainly has some good equity in it. Have you used the equity in that property to then buy other properties?
1: Yeah, I took an equity line out on that property for $105,000 and luckily I opened it up right before I left Microsoft. After I left Microsoft, I haven't really been able to acquire Mm -hmm. any kind of loans just in my own personal name after dropping my W-2 income and just being a self-employed musician and yoga teacher. So I've always been partnering like with my brother on our rentals, so we can obtain financing. But that $105,000 line of credit, I used it all up, putting the money into the initial round of rentals that my brother and I purchased and using it seed money for some flips that became money to put into rentals. So yes, I did tap into equity and that's kind of one of the moves that I have ahead of me in the next year or two is to refinance that property or sell it and roll it into a property with more cash flow relative to the equity.
0: The first deal, the four bedroom, I get that's the second deal, but the four bedroom is what just referred to. Interesting. Why would you sell it versus just, oh, because you're having a hard time getting the equity because you don't have the W-2 income. So you're trying to attain the equity that they have built up, right?
1: And also just mathematically, like if I think the house is worth about $775 in Everett, Washington, I could probably use $775 to buy maybe a six unit apartment that might be getting six thousand dollars of gross rent. Whereas for the same seven seventy-five asset in Redmond, I'm renting out the four rooms and making about thirty four hundred. So there's just more cash flow to be had relative to the price of the asset in other areas of Seattle. But at the same time, I think sometimes when you have a move where you say, well, I could sell this one and roll the money into something new, the energy that it takes to do that whole transaction, sometimes I would prefer just to keep it, even though it's not optimized, and then find new ways to buy the next property and keep both. So that's kind of why I've kept it around. <laughs> Once it's stable and it's working and it's giving cash flow, principal pay down, appreciation, and tax benefits, I just would rather hold on to it. All things being equal.
0: Yeah, especially after hearing what you said earlier about the length of time certainly is a factor. It's not necessarily market cycles as long as you buy right and are cash flowing and are in a good area. So You got the $105,000 equity line from your four-bedroom house. You parlayed that into starting your investments of multifamily rentals. When we're talking multifamily, what's the size range?
1: Duplex is the smallest and currently eightplex is the largest and then a couple of commercial buildings as well.
0: Let's talk about the eight unit. What are your expenses of either from a percentage of income or expenses per unit per year? Because it can be challenging to underwrite deals that are eight units due to various number of factors, period. There's just a lot of different variables. So where are you seeing expenses come in at on your eight unit?
1: Usually what we use when we analyze a property is 6% for vacancies or 5% for vacancies. That mm-hmm. This area has been really solid for rentals, so we don't have a lot of vacancies. And then 6% for maintenance, which usually is a little bit low, but some of the money that we spend on maintenance is really like capital improvements that then add to the value and allow us to kind of prepare for that next refi or get more rent because we added value. Mm -hmm. So we usually just use 6% for property management, 6% for vacancy, 6% for maintenance, so that's 18%. And then we charge our tenants, utility surcharges, to contribute to the water, sewer, garbage. So they're paying their own electricity. And then we try to massage the utility surcharge to where they're paying the water, sewer, garbage. So then we end up just with our mortgage payment, property taxes, our insurance, and then that 18% for the repairs, property management, and vacancy.
0: Okay. And that's 6%
1: of what? 6% of gross rent.
0: Okay, of gross rent. Cool. That's helpful. Thank you for that.
1: So for that property just to give kind of an idea of how it was going in that particular eight unit is in Everett, Washington and the way that the math kind of worked we had an opportunity to buy it with seller financing. The purchase price was 875. We put 175,000 down of which much of it we had borrowed from private lenders, promissory notes at 8%, and then 700000 was seller finance. So it was kind of an almost fully leveraged deal out of the gate, but then through renovating the units and getting them rented properly, we were able to raise the value to where now we consider it to be worth about a million dollars, and so we do have equity and reasonably strong cash flow and we're starting to knock down the principal of course with our monthly payments and it was an interesting one cuz the owners had completely paid it off they were elderly living in one of the units and only out of the eight only one other unit was occupied and six were empty because they just like to have a quiet lifestyle <laughs> so we've got the seller financing at, at a good price because we said you can't really finance that with a bank without showing income so if you do the seller financing with us for 18 months we can get it healthy and then we'll refi somebody they like that Mm,
0: seller financing that was a 700 seller finance for 18 months at what rate
1: that one we did 4.5 percent interest it was 30-year amortization with the 18-month balloon so we're getting up to that actually this summer actually i think we offered 18 months and then through the negotiation we made a couple of concessions and then they made it two years so it ended up being two years and then this summer we'll talk to them see if they want to extend another year if we want to refinance
0: you're still on the original seller finance terms and you'll need to either pay all cash for it at the balloon payment or put a new loan on it.
1: Correct. We kind of in January look ahead to whatever private loans or refinances we have coming up that year. And so we've done that and we've met with a commercial banker from Coastal Community Bank and identified that as one of the refis that we'll do with them this year. So we're Mm -hmm. we're probably going to refinance it with the bank on a five-year guaranteed interest, a 30-year amortization loan.
0: Okay, excellent. And this is I believe this is correct based on what the loan you just described. This is a long-term hold for you, huh?
1: Yes. And pretty much everything that I've invested in with myself or with my brother, most of our properties, we bought with the intention of doing buy and hold. Or initially we did some flips from a foreclosure auction in 2012 and 2013, but that was always with the idea of, hey, you know, here's a property we can buy. We've got a contractor ready. Let's do this. And then we'll have more seed money for the next buy and hold.
0: How did you find this property, the eight unit?
1: That one was through a relationship, a broker that we were just driving around town actually. And and then with a broker friend of mine and then a broker that he was introducing me to, we were all in the car driving around. And he said, hey, the people that own that apartment reached out to me and they may want to list it and they may be willing to carry the note. And then I said, well, I'm really interested in it. And just turned out that They did list it with this broker, and then we just put an offer immediately and were able to get it into contract relatively quickly.
0: Relationship with the broker then, huh?
1: Yeah, it it was a result of, and I'm sure that you and many of the best ever listeners are doing this as well. You have natural opportunities to talk about what you're doing when you start to invest, and it plants seeds in the minds of others, and sometimes ideas come to them. and They think, oh, Jeremy might be interested in this. And then especially in my case, having closed a number of deals and constantly when I talk to people that would have leads, I say what I'm looking for are multi-unit buy and hold properties with the possibility of seller financing. So even though those aren't the most common deals, there are a number of them to be had and I usually will jump at any of them that come my way. So sometimes they come and the people that want to do seller financing a lot of times they don't want to just put it on the open market and just take anybody because they want a buyer that they feel is going to be able to improve the asset, make the payments, and refi successfully. Mm-hmm. So if they talk to a broker or an investor that says, oh, I know a couple of guys that do this and that's kind of their business is the seller financing and they have a good track record, the seller may be more likely to work with us than to just accept seller finance offers on the open market. Hmm.
0: How many multifamily deals have you done with seller financing?
1: I believe we're closing one today, which will be the seventh.
0: Wow, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Out of those seven, you just told us how you found one of them. So I guess of the other six, how did you find those deals that were seller financing?
1: It started just looking on the MLS. So I have a broker that I work with who has set up an automatic search that sends me an email with all the properties that meet that criteria. It started out as just any multifamily in Snohomish County. And the first couple, seller finance deals, I don't think they've said that they would accept seller financing. There is a field in the MLS where the seller can say what they'll take as the cash out or conventional or what kind of payments they'll take. And sometimes it will say seller financing. So that's the first way that I would jump on one of those opportunities. But a lot of times... In the case of the first two that we did, it was a multifamily property that had been on the market for a little while. And so we figured, hey, maybe they'll do seller financing because they're tired of having this thing listed. And a lot of times there'll be something about the property to where it's not optimal for just a straight conventional loan out of the gate. So the first one that we purchased, they had a buyer that was gonna use a bank loan and the appraiser thought that the foundation needed work and that they wouldn't loan on it until that work was done. So it went back to active. And then when I came in with the seller finance offer, they thought this is great because the seller financing will go through and there's no appraisal to block it. And then it's these guys problem to fix the foundation and do their refi next year. So that worked for that one. And then the next one we did was a five unit, but all the units were severely under-rented relative to the market value, and one of the units was empty and being used as just a laundry room, it was maybe earning less than half of what it could earn just by getting all the units functional and up to the market rent. So if a buyer came in with a conventional offer, the bank would be seeing a very low income. So that's why we said, well, if you give us a year of seller financing, we will be able to refinance it the next year. And they said yes, partly just because they had the low mortgage balance. So our down payment was able to cover that balance and also because they were just ready to sell. And our seller finance offer gave them a good gross proceeds because they got the down payment, they got the overall price, and then they were able to earn interest each month during the period of the seller financing.
0: And the others, just high level, how did you get the others? Was it through the MLS or some other way?
1: And a couple through word of mouth, like a wholesaler or someone that I'd met at the foreclosure auction or a broker who knew I was looking for seller financing and said, hey, I got a deal that may allow for seller financing. Are you interested? And then some more with that same thing that I just described where either it said on the MLS that they would take seller financing or it didn't say that, but they had been on the market for a little while. And it was a value add opportunity where they had a low enough mortgage balance that we could do solid financing and give them a down payment big enough to cover their existing debt.
0: And you said some of these properties were on the MLS for a long time. Are you working with your agent, the same agent who's doing the searches for you? And then how is that agent compensated?
1: She gets the buyer's commission and we've negotiated a bit of credit that she gives back to us at closing because of the volume of work that we do with her. But essentially she gets paid through whatever the listing is offering for the buyer's agent. And then she credits a little bit of that, a portion of that back to us that we've negotiated. And a lot of times I look through the properties that are on the market and maybe one or two of them will say seller financing and then we'll try to jump at those. A lot of times the people that are offering seller financing right on the open market are because they're offering the stellar financing. They also want to be paid maybe more than market value. It's a little harder to compete with their wishes there, but I found it more attractive to find one that doesn't say that they'll take seller financing, but maybe they've been on the market for 30 or 45 days and we'll say, Hey, you're asking more than the market is willing to bear right now, but we'll get close to that. If you can give us seller financing so that we can, leverage more on the property, but here's our plan for value add, and here's our track record, and then we'll get you cashed out in a year or 18 months. I'd say for every 10 that we ask, maybe one says, maybe I'll take seller financing. So it's not like we hit a lot, but if we can hit one or two a year, that's a good growth rate for us.
0: I have taken a page of notes already. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would tell
1: the best ever listeners that the best advice I can gather from my experience is to take some time each day to either meditate or calmly introspect or spend some time in silence. This is that dynamo inside where your ideas will come from. And out of that calmness that you express every day, either in meditation or some other method, you'll land on what's your financial goal and what's your desired lifestyle, which can change over time. But I think it's really helpful to identify it and write it down And then take action each day towards that goal, and that action will automatically turn into habit, and that habit will automatically become the realization that you want. And along with that advice, I would say keep in mind that preferred lifestyle that you want and avoid taking on projects and initiatives that may make you money, but actually contradict that desired lifestyle and peace of mind so that your investing can grow and continue to be in balance with the life that you want to have.
0: For anyone who's not familiar, not used to meditation, that might seem hokey, what you just said, <laughs> but I got introduced to it. And while I don't do it every day, I do it frequently. And in addition, I'm reading a book called 10% Happier by Dan Harris, and he talks about his journey towards silencing the inner voice in his head. And it's a New York Times bestseller. Highly recommend 10% Happier by Dan Harris for anyone who's interested in getting better or at least learning some techniques. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Are you ready to transition your investing from a hobby into a business that has consistent deal flow? The Investor Success Mastermind and Coaching Program can help you accelerate your growth. Find out more at InvestorSuccessMastermind.com. That's InvestorSuccessMastermind.com. Best ever book you've read?
1: Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. Best ever deal you've done? A five-plex at the foreclosure auction in Snohomish County. Bought it for 288000 put 85000 of renovation and cost into it, and appraised at $500,000 6 months later, and cash flows really well. Best ever way you'd like to give back? I notice everybody's in real estate, whether they're renting, living in a home, owning, or actually wanting to invest. And the way that I like to give back the most is by giving others my understanding and of their needs. If they ask me, Hey, you're in real estate. Can you help me figure out whether I should refi or sell my house? Can you help me figure out how to buy my first rental and to talk to other people and share the path that I've taken to obtain passive income and kind of see the lights go on in them. And also to give that advice and help without any desire to, gain personally from it just as a desire to help, i found it to be very gratifying. Biggest
0: mistake you've made on a deal?
1: I'll caveat this mistake to say that I probably would do it again if I went back and that mistakes are good opportunities for learning. And if you do enough deals, sometimes you'll have one that doesn't go ideally, but it can be valuable. You might get something out of it that really does help you. So it becomes a win. But for me, it was doing a flip project on a home that was too unique. So when we went to sell it, there weren't enough comps to validate the offer. And we got stuck having to go back and forth between a couple different buyers. And by the time our holding costs had added up, I lost a few thousand dollars on it. It was a lakefront home, really. The most beautiful home I had done as a flip, but the only one that lost a little bit of money.
0: What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you?
1: JeremyJonesMusic.com, my website. And there's a email form where you can send me a note if you'd like.
0: This is one of the conversations where... I will just need to go back in my notes and just look through this and see what you're doing can be applied towards my business because I love the seller financing angle. You've done six deals with seller financing. I love how you talked about how you get those seller financing deals, the MLS search, the broker relationships, the wholesale relationships, and other various ways. And then getting specific into the deals as well as the expense ratios or rather where you project the expenses on a real-life property, in the eight unit. So thanks for sharing your insight, your journey, and really grateful we spent some time together. I know the Best Ever listeners are as well. I hope you have a best-ever day, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, Joe. It was a pleasure talking with you.
0: Are you ready to transition your investing from a hobby into a business that has consistent deal flow? The Investor Success Mastermind and Coaching Program can help you accelerate your growth. Find out more at InvestorSuccessMastermind.com. That's InvestorSuccessMastermind.com.